You're listening to Permission To, the podcast where we dive into the science and soul of owning your worthiness as a perfectly imperfect human being. I'm your host, Sam Jew, psychotherapist, positive psychology coach, mama to a beautiful five-year-old Emily, and passionate advocate for living an inspired life. My aim is to show you that you have full permission to own your worthiness so that you can embrace your true nature and begin walking boldly toward your dreams. Let's dive in. So let me introduce you to Tara. Tara Winters is an award-winning money and spirituality coach, speaker, and mother of three. After years of hiding her spirituality while working as a corporate accountant and downplaying her money wisdom in the spiritual world, she discovered that money and spirituality can, in fact, truly elevate one another. She now brings her unique medicine to lovingly guide people back to their souls and to support spiritual and creative folk to feel financially nourished so that they can do the work they came here to do. So I would love if you're like whatever you're open to sharing, this series is really about um, if you're happy to share a story or a time in your life where you felt that your self-worth was a bit wobbly, you know, that your sense of being innately whole and good enough um, was maybe a little bit shaky because of what was going on in life or what was happening in the world around you. So I, the, the, the instance that comes to mind very quickly for me is uh, around 11 years ago when mm-hmm. I just had my third baby. Uh-huh. And uh, at that time I had uh, an almost two-year-old and an almost four-year-old. And to give you some context, I grew up um, as a very academic kid. And I built a lot of my sense of worth, my self-worth around achievement, around uh, being productive, getting things done. And um, and then later on that that equated to in the workforce, like having a really good salary and earning and getting good performance Mm -hmm. reviews. And so when I uh, had my third child, uh, he also had chronic um, a chronic Ill health issues and wasn't able to to go to childcare for quite a while and I, I stayed home we made a decision to take a couple of years out of the workforce to to stay home with him and the others and uh, all those things that I built my self-worth around um, being a high achiever being really smart earning good money um, being seen as a success all of it fell apart because Day in, day out, all I was doing was looking after little babies who couldn't tell me how good I was. Yeah. Oh, and we also live in a society where we aren't really valued as mothers. Like we don't get paid for any of that incredibly important work that we do. So there's almost like a, another layer of not having any um, any feedback or reinforcement, isn't that isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And I actually. I almost looked at myself through the eyes of what I assumed other people would be seeing me as. And, and I remember yeah. having like moments of like struggling to get out of the house and say going to the local park 
and just having, you know, getting one kid out and putting them in the pram, getting another one out, putting them in the harness, getting another one out and holding their hand and feeling like people were looking at me like I was, you know, a bludger and um, not a productive member of society. And, and who knows what was going through anyone's mind, but I felt um, that I was being judged. And, and I know that mothers do get judged, you know, uh, uh, like you said, but um, there's not a lot of celebration of the unpaid and often selfless work that goes into mothering and, yeah, that it, it all hit home. And, and the fact that I wasn't earning income for the first time in my adult life because actually with my previous two children, I, I was on paid maternity leave. And, yeah. um, and so that was actually like I felt myself worth like there was nothing to cling to there was and and also I had put on a lot of weight um, and look I've always been a curvy I've always had a curvy body but I, I put on weight and I was getting comments or like from people questioning whether I was expecting another child and so that feeling of worth in the way I looked was being questioned as well and Again, always having uh, identified as being a good girl. I was always a good one that was following the rules and doing the right thing. And that translated for me into being a good mum. And I was like mm. stressing over what I was feeding them and what I was like, there was just, I was not good enough on so many levels. That, that is how I felt at that time. Yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing. I feel like so many mamas will be able to relate to that. Uh, I actually, when I used to be a psychotherapist working in London, I found so many, especially if you have really high standards for yourself, um, if you've got like an incredible career and then you become a mom, it can really rock your sense of self-worth and identity, can't it? Because, yeah, all of, you can't be a perfect mom. You know, you can make the, the per I remember this client giving me an example of like, she spent hours making this healthy meal and then her baby like threw it on the floor and didn't want it. And like normally in her job, she could have like a hundred percent control and and you know do a great job. But in mothering, that that's not how it looks, is it? Like we we just have to be ourselves and and be imperfect. And our children are their own people. We can't control how they show up. So I I feel like that it's a really um a see a season like a real messy rocky season where we can kind of have some self worth challenges. And how do you feel like the those self-worth challenges showed up for you? Like did you notice it in, um, you know, in your inner world, in your outer world? Like how, how did you kind of start to notice those self-worth challenges? Well, I put on a big massive mask so that mm -hmm. nobody could see how I was struggling mm -hmm. and I pretended that I had it all together and that I was coping. Yes. <laughs> um because that's the coping mechanism I had learnt uh, growing up, that I was very independent, uh, very self-reliant, uh, learnt that I could do anything and I, I didn't ask for help, should, didn't need to, shouldn't have to, um, and I just carried that on and mm. quietly struggled behind the scenes, to be very honest. And, um, yeah, like I, I guess... Uh, there's nothing I can pinpoint as in a moment where I, I kind of thought the light went on and, oh, gosh, my self-worth is struggling. Yeah. It's more just feeling like less than my best self all the time, um, feeling um, 
cranky feeling. Um, mm. There was, you know, a, a good dose of poor me in there as well. Um, yeah. But just not feeling like vital, not feeling excited about life, not feeling a sense of centeredness or groundedness mm. or, mm-hmm. or any of, of those things that I now realise to be really important. It was just a feeling of getting through each day and, and trying to turn up the way other people wanted me to, but there was nothing for me in there. Mm-hmm. And like, do you feel like you, you had that mask? Do you feel like other people sense that there, you know, that you were experiencing that, um, that unrest and that sense of not being enough? Or do you feel like your mask was actually pretty, pretty like well, well disguised? I think I probably got away with it with a lot of people. And when I say got away with it, I wish I hadn't have done it, you know, yeah. in hindsight, but um, I think most people you know, when they don't see behind closed doors, they probably didn't realise how much I was struggling. But the people um, who were super close to me, like, for instance, my husband could absolutely see it. Um, But he was in the thick of parenthood and working and all the things too. So it wasn't like like he had a lot of time to make it, you know, I mean, he supported me in so many ways, but he, like, sometimes you just go through, have to go through the trenches in a way, right? Um, mm. And I'd also, uh, at that time, we just moved back from London to um, maybe two years before that, and I hadn't quite gotten my feet back on the ground in terms of um, deep friendships and, you know, had, I hadn't really built any community around me at that time. And, and I'd been away for almost it was eight or nine years, so it, it was a long time to be away. And I think for that reason, it was easier to get away with the mask because there wasn't actually that many people that were let into the deep inner world. Yeah. And I think like something I found when my first daughter, Emily, was born, like, because actually I was kind of similar circumstances. I'd been living in Melbourne and then London for three years. So I'd been away from Perth for like seven years or so. Uh, So, yeah, you're kind of like trying to rebuild your relationships and, like I had a lovely mother's group, but I found like the way mum's groups are set up in Australia is like quite surface level conversation. It's like, is the baby sleeping? Um, uh, you know, how, how many times they're doing a poo? Like you just talk about, you do talk about very, uh, like you're very open in mum's group, but I feel like actually talking about how you're feeling within yourself is a bit taboo. Well, it, it felt like that in my mum's group anyway. Um did you experience the same? Yeah, absolutely. And and yeah. being a person that that loves deep conversation and finds surface level chit chat just like it's not yeah. my thing. Um, I may have been like the oversharer, and you know, like people would be like, "Oh, all right, okay, well, I'm just going to grab a cup of tea now." You know, like yeah. it, it it wasn't. It almost wasn't okay to admit that motherhood was hard, or yeah, know, like it. And and you felt in a way that. I felt having been successful at so many other things in my life that yeah. it was almost admitting failure. I don't know if failure is the right word, but like an equality of that, you know, like a let to a lesser extent, but admitting that I wasn't good enough and that I was struggling and um, that really, you know, brought up some ego stuff for me to, to say that there's this thing that I'm doing that I don't think I'm doing super well. Yeah. Um, and, in fact, um, feeling like at times I'm a bit of a failure 
but it, yeah, it felt taboo to even say that or to admit that, you know, you weren't gushing with connection and love and joy, at, you know, 24 hours a day for, for this these beings that you're caring for. Mm. I just had this moment of thinking, oh my gosh, I wish I knew you when Emily was born because uh, as a fellow highly sensitive person, I think I was probably the oversharer in the mum's group. And like, yeah, you, I think sometimes when you're struggling, if you're quite an open person, you can come across as negative too. And there's all this stuff around, oh, you only should be around high vibe people. Um, but I think it's a reminder that sometimes if someone is sharing and they're being a bit negative in inverted commas, if you um that actually maybe they're struggling and that we we maybe shouldn't have this message that you have to be positive about life all the time or that you have to be positive about motherhood because it really stops us from actually you know getting rid of that mask and and connecting and, and receiving support doesn't it yeah absolutely and gosh I wish I knew you back then too it makes me want to start up mother's groups for, yeah. for people who feel the same way um yeah yeah it and I find not just around motherhood, but around everything, mm. you know, in, in the corporate world, in the entrepreneurial world, in um, just every aspect of the human experience. Um, when we don't have real conversations, when we do put on that mask, and I think it's, you know, it's highly encouraged by our culture to wear that mask. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's certainly not easy to to be a bit vulnerable. Um and I'm not saying to do it with everybody, right? Like it, but we have to use our discernment. But I think it's such a tool of disconnection when we aren't able to be our real selves and we aren't able to find people that can hold us in our real selves and, yeah, don't have that toxic positivity kind of lens of, you know, I'm like I, I'm a generally a very optimistic person, but I'm also... Know, interested in the whole human experience and I think our shadows and our heartache and our grief and you know all all those emotions that can be labeled as negative are actually really um, here to show us something uh things that shouldn't be swept under the rug that we need to you know move through process and and be with ourselves and if we can never have those conversations with others then it makes like you feel like you're in this cone of silence and, and trying to process it on your own. Yeah. And it, I think it's like what um, Brené Brown talks about. Like if you try to build a wall around your negative emotions to like block out sadness, block out anger, any negative thoughts, you actually end up building a wall around the positive emotions too. Like we kind of can't experience the light without experiencing the shadow. And when we don't give mums permission to talk about the hard stuff, and to say, hey, like I'm not actually really enjoying this right now or I don't feel like I'm doing a good enough job. If we don't let them do that, then they they're like they literally lose contact with the joy and the the beautiful bits as well. Cause I think then you just become a bit numb, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that, that mm. I couldn't have described it any better. It is like a sense of numbness to those yeah. exquisitely beautiful joyful moments too and you know I I now realize that that is something that I want to experience I wanted to be deeply present to all of it now yeah yeah and like giving giving ourselves that permission gives each other permission doesn't it you know I think yeah. and so how I know that it was probably well 
I imagine it would have been incredibly challenging when you've got three young children, um, knowing, you know, you're very self-aware, you knew that you were like being critical of yourself, that your self-worth was really like vulnerable. How did you kind of attend to yourself and take care of yourself and your heart and your nervous system during this time? Is that something that you were able to do at, at any point? I think I was a much less self-aware person at that time. It was actually the beginning of what I would call my awakening. Um, mm. But I, one thing I did do was I always had one day where my older children were in childcare and sometimes there were two days, mm -hmm. uh, which may have seemed or felt like an indulgence to, to a lot of people, but to me it felt like my life, life raft, you know, on those days where I could connect with the, the youngest because he often didn't get a lot of attention but also just you know when he was napping I could actually rest or I could have mm. like gentle days you know where I wasn't fully on for all three of them and and that was really really important um I I I think I didn't do a lot more to be honest I I think I you know I did a lot of numbing in terms of eating and uh, watching you know tv and that kind of thing um, but I did try to think what else I did at that time. I think I, I was really lucky in that I had a husband and have a husband who is here for the, the conversations and the communication and, the, you know, the, the darker feelings as well. So I think talking to him about it and having a really um, understanding person really really helped and and I've noticed that that's the way I process a lot of things is speaking things out yeah. um yeah. which is you know why you know you and I they value the work that we do so much because we see the value in doing that yeah um, so I think that was probably the, the main the main things that I did mm -hmm. and you said that you weren't like very self-aware necessarily at that stage but then you know you've been on this journey so do you feel like you could share like maybe the turning point or the aha moment or some, something like that for you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my my youngest had chronic health issues, which meant that he didn't sleep for, for two years. Uh, until he was two years old, he didn't sleep through. And um, he, yeah, there were a lot of foods he couldn't eat that I couldn't eat when I was nursing him and that kind of thing. Mm. And I just remember getting to the point where, like, I was overwhelmed by, you know, all the demands of, of and three kids at home, like none of them were at school yet. And it was almost like a breakdown to get to the breakthrough. Like, it, and and I find that with a lot of awakenings, that's what happens, right? Like, it it feels like a really catastrophic or big event. And um, so, yeah, but I think I kind of went on this journey of questioning at that time, um, the things that my son could and couldn't eat and realising like how much of the food in our supermarkets is um, mm. not ideal for human consumption, you know, and, and before that I'd never questioned anything like that. I just thought, you know, no one would ever do anything that's not in our best interest, blah, 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 like I was very Pollyanna-like and yeah. um, that just started me questioning things because I was like, oh, okay, well, what else am I being told that, is totally okay but maybe isn't and it, it got me questioning just everything like the the way that we're all encouraged to go through the school system and then go through the you know, corporate world and and 
the version of success that we're sold and is that really what brings me happiness is is that my version of success and you know this is the way you should look and berating myself for not fitting you know a standard that I could never like I (laughs) could never live up to ever and like it just got me questioning a lot of things and and so I think I just one by one just started letting go of all those really high standards I'd held for myself which were um, not my standards anyway they were somebody else's standards that were fed to me and um, yeah just led through letting go of the good girl letting go Mm. of the perfectionist letting go of the people pleaser yes letting go of the high achiever (laughs) and just one by one these layers coming off and like trying to find out who I really was beneath all that yeah, I love the that like letting go of perfectionism is definitely one of the core things that you can do to support your self-worth, right? Um, yeah, that sounds like, you know, it's interesting how it started with like food, but also really not just food. It was curiosity, like, because I, I kind of grew up in the social work world where I like, so I started, I was kind of trained to question things from like 18 years old. Um, whereas you were in the corporate world, which doesn't really encourage you to question things, right? So food was almost like this. It wasn't just food. It was curiosity. It was starting to question everything. And that sounds like such an incredible, like enlightening period of your life. Um, yeah, yeah. absolutely. It was, uh, yeah, as I, it was the, the beginning of, um, an awakening and I would call it a spiritual awakening actually, where I, started to really open up to what I wanted and how I wanted to create it and and what I could let go of yeah wow and um I my definition of self-worth or the thing that I always say to support the women I support is that I I honestly truly believe that we are all born worthy and enough and we don't actually have to do anything to be enough and that doesn't just mean I'm enough it also means I matter my needs matter all of those things if you if you think about Tara back then with three young kids really struggling and and masking so much how do you feel that she would have showed up differently and lived her life differently if she kind of really truly believed in her bones that she was enough without being perfect in her job, without being perfect as a mom, without earning all that money? Like how do you think that that time of your life would have maybe been different? Oh, my goodness. I think I would have been so much more present to myself um, and who I was becoming because, you know, motherhood, changes you on yeah. so many levels and um, and I would have been much more present for those moments with my kids like rather than um being so hung up and and, and this is a continual practice for me rather than yeah. being hung up on what a good mum does and yeah. and um giving doing the right thing all the time yeah. I would have just hung out with them more played with them more let yeah. the you know washing pile up or let you know just let the standards go and I think I just Mm. been um just felt a sense of groundedness and you know that enoughness is everything isn't it like it's the the center of everything because so many things that so many of the things that we chase are from a sense of not enoughness because we're Mm. chasing that external validation and I think if I had 
had that internal sense of validation um, mm. back then, no one would have suffered. Like my children would not have suffered. They would have only benefited. Like all my relationships would have only benefited. Like I would have been, like there is no one that would have suffered if I wasn't chasing an external yeah. validation, apart from maybe the patriarchy and yeah. like all the other oppressive <laughs> systems, you know, like that, but, yeah. but no one would have suffered. I would have, yeah, shown up as a much better version of myself for me for first and foremost and, and for everybody around me. Yeah, that's so like because I think often, especially in motherhood, it's so hard for us to give ourselves permission to prioritise like our well-being and our inner work. But like as you've just said, like the the way that you would have benefited from just having that unconditional self-worth also would have just brought so much presence and so much, um, yeah, like beauty to your children's lives as well and there would have been a lot less suffering I think that's like oh I just felt that in my bones like there there's a lesson there in that isn't there that like self-worth is like the priority um when in relation to other people and but we don't get given a lot of space to explore it when we've got young children do we like not like you've got hours to just sit around and journal and like have a morning routine when you've got like you know, baby and a toddler. Yeah, it, it's true. And and I'm finding it, you know, even now, I'm going to a season of teenage years, which I'm realising is like another version of the toddler years. Yes. Um, and I'm finding like even just two minutes walking barefoot on the grass to, to ground me or, you know, having a quiet five-minute cup of tea on the deck just with the sun on my face or just those things like it, it doesn't have to be I mean gosh long journaling practices and you know yeah. all the oracle cards and candles like I'm so there for all of those things and I love those but when we don't have the the time or capacity for you know longer practices I really think those small bits of connection to ourselves and to to something greater than us if that's um you know part of your belief system then I think that um yeah they can give you so much of it like an energy boost and a self-worth like just a feeling of enoughness because in that moment that is enough right that cup of tea in the sun is enough that's what yeah. I need yeah and I think like I, I'm someone who supports clients to work on their self-worth and but I, I think like part of the reason I'm doing this series is I feel like a lot of people have this idea that like really confident, really successful humans never struggle with self-worth and enoughness. But even as you were sharing, I just want to be, I just had a bit of an aha moment because I think sometimes as a mum, I put so much pressure on giving my children like a good childhood. And that even as you were talking, I was like, oh, Sam, you just need to come back to your enoughness in the way you're mothering them and just being present and joyful, not, not, putting all this pressure that you've got to give them a good childhood like because you know even that can look so deep like I grew up in the country so I feel like a lot of the things that I had in my childhood that were good are quite hard for me to give my children growing up in the city um so it's so powerful that even when we do this work there's just more layers of being okay with the imperfection and being okay with the it's just enough what you're doing right now yeah, and and 
as someone I imagine who's come from the background you've come from knowing how the things that happen in your childhood impact who you are as an adult it would just it lays so much pressure like it it yeah. is open to letting you lay so much pressure on yourself to give them that perfect childhood and to make sure they don't have these massive hang-ups that you know you embedded in them as their mother and and um, I find myself doing that like every you know every interaction thinking okay how how is this going to affect their sense of self where's the adults and the the permission slip I've given myself is that you know the whole human experience yeah. is a learning journey and I don't want to rob my children of that they're going to experience their own awakenings and yeah. life is not perfect like I could cocoon them for their you know, first few years of life in a way but now that they're teenagers I've realized that that the external world like things are going to happen that you know yeah. and to get all very existential like the human experience does involve a level of suffering you know yeah. and it it's so it's not that I need to cocoon them and create this perfect life for them. Um, I, I can't control that. But what I can do is walk beside them and yeah. hold, you know, walk in it with them and rather than curating a perfect experience for them, it's letting them know that I am here mm. to walk alongside them in whatever their, their life journey involves. Oh, I feel that. I love it. I, I remember when COVID hit because Emily was only three and I went through this grief of like, well, this is her childhood, like, you know, and and I remember my um, supervisor at the time saying, it's not your job to protect Emily from those things. It's your job to kind of resource her to be able to navigate those. And um, But it is, it's so hard. Like there's still this desire for me to, you know, make life <laughs> good for her. And, um, yeah, but I think that's something like, we just keep working on it, don't we? We just keep being aware of it. And it's like layer upon layer of self-worth and I am enough and what I'm giving my children is enough as well. Um, yeah, I think. And so with your journey, like what is there anything that you wish you knew back then that you know now? Like I imagine there's a lot because you've you've gone through this this just incredible shift. Is but is there like a core thing that you wish you knew back then? I think my core thing would have been like connection to self mm, um, mm -hmm. is like paramount um, yeah. because we're so quick to reference ourselves to mm. lots of external sources like, you know, what what this person will think, how society will judge me and um, how my kids will view my mothering, how like it's just, and yeah. I think it all comes back to, if I am connected to myself, I can notice my needs. You know, like on those days when you're really rushed and you don't even notice you're thirsty or you don't even, you know, you might be hungry but you don't really know, um, mm. take time to notice that need within yourself. And I think even on that basic level, but then if you, if you can't take care of or notice those basic needs, then how could you dive deeper and notice your deeper needs? And so I think connection to self would be my biggest thing that I would love to have gifted myself back then. Mm -hmm. It's that connection to self and it's that reminder, like my needs matter. Like, yeah, even yeah. just being aware, hey, I'm thirsty right now, like I haven't drunk enough water or, you know, it's so simple but powerful, isn't it? Because it is like that 
building that connection to yourself so that then you know you're aware of the deeper things too like how can you know how you're feeling if you don't notice that you're thirsty first right yeah yeah and it can be so easy to feel like you're a brain walking like your body's just a vehicle transporting your brain around and I think actually our bodies hold a lot of wisdom so I'm you know um I think even just connecting in with my physical needs at that time yeah would have been the gateway to connection on so many more levels and this is a bit of a typical Sam tangent because my brain likes to do this sometimes so but I like I am curious because I like I guess we both identify as highly sensitive people. I found as a highly sensitive person, my inner world is so alive and so vivid, like my being aware of my emotions and my thoughts, but I can often forget about my body. I've done so much work in therapy and breath work, just trying to do that. Do you find that you've got a bit of a similar tendency if you don't work on it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And as someone who identifies as like an empath and an intuitive yeah. as well, like I can very much get caught in in that rich inner world and, and yeah. the external. But I've actually, one of my greatest learnings over the last decade has been that my body actually holds so much wisdom. I've noticed a lot of my intuitive yeah. nudges have been like goosebumps or like tingly feelings in my body and, and mm. that kind of thing and so I've been much more curious about tuning yeah. into what my body has to say because my mind is the conditioned part of me as well yes and so um yeah I but I absolutely that's something that I has been one of my biggest biggest learnings yeah. is to uh, listen listen to my body Yes, I love that. Yeah, it's something for me, my zone of awareness is definitely more my inner world and I'm yeah, always working to come back into my body. Um, yeah. And so is there anything else that you want to like share with our listeners, like any kind of lessons learned or um, oh, actually what I'd really love to know is like what do you want to say to anyone else? Like let's imagine that there is someone listening to this episode who's struggling with their self-worth, a sense of not being enough. Maybe they're a mum of three young kids or first-time mum, but maybe it's actually like I have a lot of listeners who aren't mummers, but, you know, maybe they've moved countries or they have taken a new job that's feeling really wobbly or uh, they've gone through a breakup. But, like, what do you want to say to anyone who is struggling with a season where they're really doubting themselves and feeling wobbly within their self-worth? First of all, I love you and I'm sending love to you and um, really an invitation here to shower yourself with compassion and love. Mm. And on top of that, I would say if you find that your sense of worth, mm-hmm. the way you feel about yourself, tracks up and down a lot mm-hmm. um, and that could be depending on how much money is in your bank account or how many compliments somebody has paid you or um, you know how um how how much I was, I'm thinking of school certificates here for some reason yeah. like, but how yeah. how much other people have fed back to you how good you are or uh, that kind of thing if you find that your sense of self tracks up and down mm-hmm. there's a good chance that you are seeking you're you're, you're outsourcing your self-worth to to other sources and so I think just noticing that as a first step mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. really, really powerful because then 
you can start to unwind from that and and come yeah. back into giving yourself your validation and sense of worth. Yes, I love that. It's like how can we decide that actually we're the ones that measure our self worth? Like that society doesn't get to say, well, you got a gold medal, so you're worthy, but the person who came 10th isn't worthy. Like how do we change it so that actually we're the ones that are deciding our self-worth and we just decide that no matter what happens, I am enough, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a really like powerful question to ask, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And and a lifetime of practice too. Like it's it's not that you suddenly reach self-worth and then you're done and that's it. You can move on. I think it's, you know, something to keep come back, keep coming back into a remembering. And I love how you I know I say the same thing as you, Sam, that you know, we're all born and we don't need to do anything more to earn that. And so I think it's not like um you know in the the self-development world, it's like you've got to take on this new learning, you've got to take on this new teaching. I actually think it's coming back into remembering and it's something that is innately in all of us. And so it's not something that you have to do or strive for or learn or fix letting the layers fall off and coming back into a deep sense of remembering it's it is it's remembering that that body remembering that hey I was born worthy I'm enough and I always say like the personal development world can be a little bit toxic in that way you have to be so careful I always say don't join permission granted because you want to be more worthy like join it because you want to remember that you already are enough like you don't of course, you might do some great things with your life and that's a lovely bonus. But actually just knowing that, that no matter what you do, you are enough is like really the, the core of what we all need, I think. Oh, that is mm. so beautiful. But that is the energy that people come into that container with. I love that. Yeah, but it is, I think, I don't know if you find it, but sometimes in personal development there's people coming in going, oh, I need to be fixed I'm not good enough, so I need to do this course. And it's like that's not the that's not why you need to do this course, you know. You, you, you're not broken. You don't need to be fixed. So, yeah. Yeah, it's just another way of outsourcing our, our sense of worth, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Oh, I love this conversation so much. Is there anything else you want to share? Um, what's the best way for people to find you and kind of connect with you? Well, um, in terms of anything else I want to share, yeah. I I think, yeah, look, we've all been through a really big few years and yeah. so I think it's really important to just be kind to ourselves, be really kind yeah. to ourselves. Now, yeah. um, we don't realise how, you know, sometimes we're getting on with our day-to-day life, we forget how much we've been through. And so mm-hmm. I just want, I want everyone to just remember that, that love and self-compassion Mm-hmm. And in terms of where to find me, uh, the best place would be Instagram, um, matttarawinters.co or on my website, which is www.tarawinters.com.au. And, yeah, I, I love connecting with other humans. I think it's uh, one of the things that feeds my soul so much. So, yeah, I'd love to connect. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'll drop all those links in the show notes as well. Uh, but yeah, thank you, Tara. I feel like this um, series, I wanted people to really, really share like vulnerably and deeply. And I'm really, really grateful that you um, yeah, agreed to do that with us. So generously passed on your story and your wisdom. Oh, thank you, Sam. It's been such a joy to be here today.